I mean, what a waste of time all this was. Actually, it was very useful because you taught me a lot. Now, if you can keep your barber clients without chasing away my regulars, just go for it. Really? Yes. And if you want to go on a few courses, sweetheart, you're welcome to have the back room in the salon for your non-surgical what's-its. Huh? Well, sounds good to me. Right. So, are we all happy? Yeah. Well, I don't know about that. Oh, David. Come on, let's have a toast. Right. The talk of the street. Talk of the street. The talk of the street. Talk of the street. The talk of the street. Talk of the street. The talk of the street. Talk of the street. Hello, welcome to episode 285 of the Talk of the Street, an unofficial Cornish Street Catch-Up podcast that thinks that based on his approach to data security and password management, Stephen deserved to die. I'm Gavin. <laughs> and I'm free, baby. You're off ski. I'm off ski. I had to go into work for like two hours this morning uh, to finish renumbering lots that I didn't get oh, finished. Oh. Of, because people want it. Do they? I don't know. <laughs> Festive auction talk. <laughs> I should put jingle bells over that. I might do that. Yeah, I uh, I I finished up the auction. It was scheduled to begin tomorrow. For British listeners, that's scheduled to begin tomorrow. Oh God. My but because I had it all done and everything, my boss just uh, started it on Monday. Nice. Monday evening. So that's really, that's really exciting. And you know me, I'm like OCD checking it like every five minutes to see what has new bids on it like a crazy person oh like someone might check to see how many downloads a podcast has got <laughs> i am sure i have no idea what you're talking about but i had to uh renumber some lots because initially i had made it into two auctions because we had so much stuff and we decided instead of doing you know two auctions like running back to back that we would do one auction now and one auction in the spring. So so the two auctions that I had started, we combined them. So I had to renumber basically over 100 lots. So that was fun. And uh, I got it done this morning. I, I just had a, a little bit more left to do this morning. And yeah, I'm, I'm really excited. You know, my babies are going out into the world. Is this the one that I did the poster for? Yes. Excellent. <laughs> Happy to help. Yes, and I do believe all of those things in that picture have bids on them already. Oh, wow. So, good job, Broom. Well. <laughs> good job. In fact, the Welcome Back Cotter record case has two bids on it already. No. Oh. And I think w at least one of them, I think one of them is, is, our, is our pal Nathan Tyree of... The Bloodfest podcast. The Bloodfest podcast. Yes. Check it out. <laughs> so, because I remember I posted a picture of it like a month or so ago, and he's like, I must have that. Oh, really? 
please post the auction when when it goes live. So very good. So yeah, yeah. I'm just relieved that it's that it's out there and that I can just relax over Christmas. There you go. Apart from the you know manically checking every five minutes. Sure. <laughs> oh, so how was your week? I have been so busy. Yeah. You've you've been editing a movie. <laughs> What's uh, I feel like I'm a bit of a Thelma Schoon maker this week. <laughs> Stella had a project for English mm-hmm. where she had well, she didn't have to do this, but she chose to do this. Yeah, to do she a, and her group a movie uh, or a a video of the Scarlet Letter. Yes. So she spent six hours on. Saturday, another six hours on Sunday. Felt longer than that, a didn't it? A couple of hours on Monday, Monday night doing the filming for it. Right. So 12 hours of filming. 14. Because uh, the two hours yes, on Monday. Sorry. 14 hours of filming that produced approximately 10 minutes of footage. <laughs> and then I spent two hours on Monday, three hours on Tuesday and about five hours last night editing it all for her last night was tuesday it's wednesday today well, I it three nights didn't i no well i think maybe you did a little bit on sunday oh, I did sunday monday tuesday that's right, right. Yeah. That's, this is everything th- th- this week is all kind of everything's upside merging down into each other. so uh so <laughs> i'm also i'm trying not to do too much that's anything that's like fancy because it needs to look like Right, she's and she it. was in the room. And she's been in the she's room been and she's helping. been making decisions and right. where to cut things and all that sort of thing. Right. So she has been an active participant in it. However, my contribution was, wouldn't this look nice in black and white? <laughs> and everyone agreed. Uh-huh. She checked with her, um, her, 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 her classmates. Group, right. that, yes, black and white is the way to go. you got like so, a sepia tone going there. Yeah, kind of noir sort of look to it. So... It's looking great. Mm-hmm. And we edited it to the point where it was too late to go back to colour. Uh-huh. Because I'd, some of the footage had, had since been deleted. Right. So we couldn't go back to colour, which was a mistake. But then we realised the name of this thing... Is a Scarlet Letter. It's a Scarlet Letter. <laughs> so there's a big moment where... I can't remember the character's name. Dimsdale. Dimsdale reveals the Scarlet Letter, the Scarlet A... Right, that he's carved into his chest. That in black and white is just going to look grey. <laughs> so I thought there must be a way to do this in After Effects. So I fired up After Effects. You kind of colour key the colour that you want to retain. And it, essentially the process, black and white, everything else. So there's this moment when there's this 10 minute black and white film. And the last 30 seconds when the shirt is pulled open there's a colour suddenly emerges and it's scarlet. Uh-huh. I'm so pleased with it. <laughs> I hope you get a good grade. I hope I get an A. <laughs> so yes, that was fun. I love doing stuff like that, but it's, uh, yeah, and it's a lot of work. And it's a lot of work to do a 11-minute short film. Right, yeah. I mean, we spent combined probably like 24 hours worth of effort on it. Right, yeah. It was basically our whole weekend. We missed, we missed Wonka. For this. We did. So that was that's been my week. <laughs> I am looking forward to I finish up tomorrow morning as well. So 
I'm looking forward to essentially nearly two weeks off work. Yeah. Can't wait. It's nice. All right. Shall we preamble, my dear? Yes, please. I said this last week because I didn't know if we were going to be doing this tonight. But again, let's have some of that festive Corrie Newts. <laughs> Simon Gregson will be going from ITV to BBC this week. What? As he appears on House of Games, hosted by Richard Osman. Excellent. I love the House of Games. Yeah. You love Rich- Richard Osman? Yeah, I've even read his books. Well, I've read one of his books. Right. The Thursday Murder Club or something. You didn't like it? I thought it was a bit verbose. Ah. A you- little bit longer than it needed to be, I felt. Right. It's like when I didn't like that Stephen Fry book as much as yeah. I thought I was going to. Yeah. It was... I enjoyed it, and I was looking forward to reading other ones. I haven't no. got around it yet, though. But no, yeah, it's funny in places. Have you read a book this year? Uh, when did that Emily St. John Mandel come out? Last year. Oh well, in that case, no. <laughs> Hasn't she changed her name now that she's divorced? Is she divorced? I believe so. Should you, I be worried? You know more about it than me. <laughs> I've, back when I was on the Twitter. I used to follow her on the Twitter. I follow her on Twitter in my personal account. Uh-huh. She's Canadian, right enough. Anyway. Cut it out. <laughs> Mo Moreland, who appeared in Corey as well as in the dance troupe, the Roly Polies. The Roly Polies? <laughs> died this week. Oh, no. <laughs> A dead Roly Poly? <laughs> she was 82. And she was the Roliest. She was only 82? <laughs> she was the Roliest of the Polies. She was only 82. I remember them from, like, was it Les Dawson show yes. in the nineteen eighties? Yes, it was the Les Dawson show. Well remembered. They were funny. Yeah, but they always looked like they were in their eighties. <laughs> they looked like they were in their eighties. In the eighties. <laughs> wow. So she must have been in her forties then. Something like that. Oh, that's a tough paper run. Oh, um, may she rest in peace. <laughs> I used to love the Roly Polies, man. Everyone loved the Roly Polies. <laughs> They were hilarious. Should it? Should I be upset about a, about something that feels fat phobic, but then is also a lot it's about not, body, posi- body positivity because they're a dance troupe? It celebrated and it. they're hilarious. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. In the eighties, it celebrated it. Right. Yeah. Well, that's my memory of it anyway. Right. Yeah. Fuck you, grapefruit and cottage cheese. Indeed. That's what Weight Watchers wanted everybody. I remember my mother and I having half a slice of grapefruit with no sugar or maybe with sweet and low and equal or equal and having that for breakfast. And then the afternoon popping in the Richard Simmons dancing to the oldies tape and doing dancing to the oldies for our, for our exercise. Good times. <laughs> Good times. The 1980s. We also had a thigh master. Did your mum have a thigh master? Just my dad. <laughs> oh, and finally, congrats to Ellie Leach, who oh. has won the British version of <laughs> Dancing with the Stars, a.k.a. Strictly Come Dancing. Oh, I was hoping you were going to get it wrong. <laughs> she is officially... The youngest person to ever win. Is she really? Yeah. She's in her early 20s, I think, isn't she? She's 22. Incredible. Yeah. 
And and she was brilliant. And she know, looked happy. They made <laughs> right. Uh, there's part of me that wishes that she was partnered up with Tinker, but <laughs> just just for the lols. Can you imagine Tinker on Dance and Strictly? No. They made a big deal of the journey that she's been on because right. she was like quite uh, nervous and mm-hmm. unsure of herself and lacked a bit of confidence at the start. And then at the end, she was, you know, no one could accuse her of that. I watched the final and I watched the first, the first few episodes. I kind of lost it in the middle. But uh, there was a few routines that she was doing where it was just just incredible Mm -hmm. and she was moving the judges to tears right because she was that good right and she really is that good i mean credit to her partner yeah who was uh vito yeah who was you know he's choreographing all this and he's doing a remarkable job and teaching her how to dance as well as his side job with the mob Uh, right right (laughs) but i mean that's those are two difficult things to juggle right yes and he did a he did a remarkable job. But all credit to her, she was uh, she was phenomenal, phenomenal, and yeah. a, and a well deserved winner. I saw the numbers for the vote tolls, mm-hmm. and she absolutely absolutely crushed it. Yeah, it was like there was no contest, pretty much. Yeah. So congratulations to her. Congrats to her. So yeah. pleased, and that's Corey news. And that's Corey news. And Helen, mm-hmm. you know, I've said it before, and I'll say it again. It's almost like this is planned, but you lead us. <laughs> So neatly into our feedback section, which I like to call Everyone's a Critic. Gotta fuel up the rocket ship so we can make our journey to Mars for Christmas. Why do you hate me? I love you. This is a compliment. I love that music. It's not meant to sound Christmassy. (laughs) Well, it does. It sounds like Christmas on Mars, and that's brilliant. I love it. My my homework for the Christmas break is to come up with new... Oh, fuck you! <laughs> Don't take away my Christmas on Mars. Anyway, feedback is always welcome at the Talk of the Street. Send us your thoughts, and I will probably read them out. Get us at thetalkofthestreet at gmail.com. Our DMs are open at Corey Podcast. Did uh, we, did we're we? a bit early in the week to get any correspondence to read out. Oh. And now we'll podcast for coffee. Has anybody sent us Christmas Christmas coffees? No. Oh. There's not much to say really in any of the things I've got to talk about <laughs> this week on, on our preamble, other than to say and remind people that the talk of the street is and will always be free on your podcast provider. And on the YouTubes, but if you think our show is worth anything more than the time it takes to listen to it, and you want to show your appreciation, you can buy us next week's coffee by going to ko-fi.com, that's ko-fi.com, slash the talk of the street. And you can also sign up to be a friend of the podcast through the same link, where for as little as two bucks a month, you can get a mention in the closing credits of each and every episode. But remember, hoy, you, remember, you can always support the podcast for free and get us in front of new listeners by liking, subscribing, Rating and reviewing wherever you get your podcasts. And now this. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Welcome to last year tonight with me, John Oliver. Just enough time to quickly talk about nothing.
That's right. Nothing. We, we didn't do an episode this time last year. Because we were driving. Yeah. Yeah. Last year we were on the we were on the road. We were in spooky Pennsylvania. We were already on the road. I don't know that we've mentioned that we're recording this on a Wednesday night. Yeah. Because we will be on the road on Friday. So yes. we will not be Doing watching a podcast Coronation on Street Friday. on Friday or doing the podcast. So we're recording this a little bit Maybe early. Maybe I'll watch it. Saves us having to do like 19 episodes next week or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. So that's the reason why this has dropped a little early. But yeah, nothing to talk about in that either. It's almost as if we'd have been better just waiting until we got back. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Who'd have thunk? We could have done this like Tuesday. Oh, no. And we could have, would have been Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Monday. But then there's Tuesday, Wednesday, Friday, next week. Yeah. Oh, no. That's, that's it. I'm comfortable with this. This is a decent decision. It's maybe not a great decision, but it's, it's decent. Sure. Go anyway, with that. We will take a quick break and we will be right back with this week's recap where <gasps> things actually did happen. Ooh. And we're back. Thank you, sponsors. How was your quick break? It was great. Imagine if we did have sponsors. Imagine if you hadn't turned down I the don't manscaping want manscaped. money. You manscape anyway. Don't lie. That's not why I, I didn't take it. <laughs> you just don't want to talk about manscaping. I don't want to read out their copy. And I don't think, I don't know if our listeners are in that demographic. I'm sure there are plenty of gay men listening Apart to us right men. now. Yeah, which is most of our audience because it's most of Corey's audience. I don't know. I think there's mostly, it's mostly a female audience that we've got. Are you forgetting about... I'm not forgetting about... Our favourite secret American. But I'm looking I'm looking at most of of our friends of the podcast. Good evening, yeah. ladies. <laughs> oh, and then there's what's-his-name, whose wife hates me. And he's got a wife, so he's obviously not gay. Who am I thinking of? And she doesn't hate me. This is a joke. I don't want her to be offended. I'm not sure I want to refer to any of our listeners as what's-his-name. <laughs> It's Christmas. My brain is like... It's been a long week. Pancakes. All right, shall we dive in, my dear? <laughs> yes, please. My first storyline tonight is Hot Tub Hotties. <laughs> Ooh, Ooh la la! Ooh, Ooh yeah. <laughs> I was a male stripper in the go-go bar. <clears throat> <laughs> Remember that? There you go. That's for our gay audience. <laughs> On Monday, Peter's got a letter that he doesn't want Carla to know about, so he hides it. It's from Wendy General. What could that be about, Helen? Hmm... He's made a fancy breakfast for Carla, but she only has time for coffee and then she fucks off to work. Then he tries to get Simon on board, but he's in a hurry to <clears throat> meet some mates. Right, yes, and also doesn't want to eat with Ryan. Right. Because he fucked Ryan over. So a bearded Tim meets Peter in the community garden. A bird has just shot in Peter's coffee, and that <laughs> actually happened. What do you mean that actually? Oh, yeah. It happened in the show. I'm not making that up. Right, yes, because for some reason, Tim and and Peter are both anti-lid. It's plastic, y'all. Yeah, but it keeps birds from shitting in your coffee. It does. <laughs> Just as luck. Tim wants to know what's on Peter's mind and reminds him it's good to talk. Peter doesn't want to talk about Stephen or anything else, so Tim suggests he should take up a distracting activity if he doesn't want to talk, like he did with fishing. That he did that one time, and he offers up Sally's hot tub. Woohoo! 
So it's tattooed hot tub hotties in the back garden at number eight. I was eight. so distracted by <laughs> the by duck. Tim's Tim's shoulder. His I massive eagle tattoo. Is it an eagle? I think so. It's got feathers. That's an eagle. Well, there are other things that have feathers as well. It could like be a budgie. A, could be a budgie. Or a Tyrannosaurus Rex. Ah. You know? So, because remember, let's all remember that time that Tim and Steve wrapped themselves oh. in packaging tape and pretended to be Tyrannosaurus Rexes. How can we ever forget that when How? you remind us every week? <laughs> because it was such a delight. It was like but one of my favorite scenes from the show ever. But I was also distracted by Peter's tattoos because he's got that thing that kind of kind of looks like a, f- a bush. That's a swallow. No, no, it's green and purple and looks like a bush, like a triangular bush. Like a pubic bush? And and then and then it looks like a swallow, but it's got a female head. What is what's up with that? It's like a harpy, but pretty. I don't know. I wasn't paying attention. I was watching Peter and his duck. Oh yeah, he was holding the duck. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he didn't have a duck tattoo. No. <laughs> Which no, is a shame. More people should have duck tattoos. Peter should get a duck tattoo. That reminds they've, me, they've, I need to call my tattoo artist. They've gradually become more and more tattooed as as time has gone on. Yes. As have us all. Yes. But um, yeah, it was funny seeing the two of them in what clearly was a attempt at homoeroticism, wasn't it? No. Eh, just me then. Not, not, not even close. Peter says that he feels like a boiled egg. So <laughs> after fucking, they talk about their shared experiences with Stephen. Tim thinks that he has to face it down, but Peter doesn't know where to start. Here, says Tim, and then he wanks Peter off a wee bit. Peter thinks... Don't do that when I'm drinking! That's what Peter says. Peter thinks that everything is too close to home. Tim explains how Sally has been her rock, but Peter isn't sure he can say the same of Carla at the moment. Every waking minute, she's her mind is on the factory, which she can appreciate, but it leaves him feeling very lonely. Tim blames Stephen for all of this, but... Even if that's true, says Peter, it doesn't help. So back home, Peter's looking at his letter again until Carla comes home. She has a date night special and suggests a movie, and Peter's mood is lifted briefly until Carla gets a call, and, oh, wouldn't you know it, it's work. The factory alarm has gone off, and she has to leave. All pig's tits, says Peter. We never find out why the factory alarm has gone off. No. Which is weird. Later, Peter is talking with Simon. It seems his opportunity to leave for the Mediterranean has sailed away. Peter doesn't regret it though, he says his life is here, but he really should tell his face that, and then he kind of paraphrases the final chapter of the Scottish Book of the Dead. So he's read it, that's good. On Wednesday, Carla is focused on another very important meeting and asks to meet Peter at the bistro for lunch, but Peter says that he already has plans with Ken. Peter is obviously very distant with Carla at this point. Later, Peter is dusting in a fancy shirt. When Carla comes home unexpectedly, she wonders what he's hiding, and he explains that he's in contact with his support nurse. That must be what the way the general letter right. was all about. Yes. Looking to meet his donor's family, thinking that this might help him with his recent struggles and reinforce his sobriety. This has led to a meeting this afternoon that Peter has, not lunch with Ken after all. Carla says that she wants to be there and promises to be back in an hour. And I'm thinking she's not going to come back in an hour and this is Mm -hmm. going to further disillusion Peter but she is there yes she's back in time for it as there's a buzz at the door and it's the donor's family it's a woman called Val 
and they just stand there looking at each other and I'm thinking this is, seems like it's kind of awkward but then right. they start to cry and she asks if she can hug Peter right and I was like oh my god I'm I'm suddenly crying yes that was so emotional it really was and so unexpected yeah but it was great but completely believable mm-hmm. that she's looking at someone who has been saved by I presume her son mm-hmm. and there's part of her son that's living and this man that's on the other side of the door which is just a, must have been an incredible moment later Val explains that her Jimmy was in a car accident and he was only 32 years old and this sets Peter off again he feels like he's a fraud and explains that he's an alcoholic and people don't think that he deserves a second chance and it cuts to Val and it looks like she's unsure or she's a little shocked by this information but then she says look it's a disease and if people don't get it then they're ignorant and she is 100% team Peter here and this sets Peter off again and then it sets Nick off as well No, Nick gets set off all on his own later on. Val tells Peter not to waste his life. So she's gone and Peter seems to have felt the benefit of it. Carla is so impressed and proud of Peter. Then he remembers the plans that they'd made when they were together, when they thought that he was getting a new lover and that one fell through. Right, the floor. Yep, because uh, Ruby's uh, blood test didn't check out. And Hope cut a hole in the in the ceiling right. of the floor below. Peter reminds her that they never did any of those things. It's not too late, she says. Sure, he says. Yeah, we can go walking in the dales, right. ignoring all the other stuff. <laughs> then Carla remembers that Peter got a postcard from Mallorca, and it's his mate, Mickey. And in the message it says that there's still room on the boat. Right, and that's yeah. As far as we get with that there was a change of plans of where he was going. He's going around the world now. Now, is this postcard of the week? Because we do get another postcard later on, which is postcard of the week. Which one was boring postcard (laughs) of the week? I feel like they were both momentous. Mickey writes on a ruler. He does. Yes, and he, he, he he sticks it in his printer and prints it. Right off, right off the internet. He writes his postcards in Word, and then prints it on on his his uh, his brother printer. So no, I thought he had a he had his postcard, but it has a ruler, and he writes against the ruler to get a nice straight line. Well, yes, there was nice straight lines, but it was also very very tidy handwriting mm-hmm. and very even handwriting, and the ink was very even all the way through. You're not getting that even from the most expensive of pens. Can I be very, very pedantic for a moment? Sure. Why not? You never are. I don't believe that that was a Spanish postmark. (laughs) It didn't look to me like a Spanish postmark. How many Spanish postmarks have you seen? A lot. Because I'm sure that they're hexagonal. And I also don't think they say España on it. I think they say the the town that they were posted in and i don't think that their date format is the same as british ddmmyy i think it's i think they spell the month but i'm pretty sure from the postcards that i've got i was sure they were hexagonal they look pretty circular to me oh really but you're right they don't say well no this one says espana oh does it oh well maybe it is then and i thought well that makes sense if it 
isn't because to get an authentic Spanish postcard, they'd have to send someone to Spain and send a postcard. Or maybe, you know, somebody knows somebody in Spain. Right, it's, but either way, it seems like too much effort for such a little return. Hmm. But anyway, that was my pedantic cunt of the week. <laughs> so yeah, so that's that's as far as we get with that storyline. That was very moving, it the was, whole Val it, stuff. It was so unexpected because I didn't really know what the purpose of that scene was going to be. Right. I didn't expect it to be as emotional as that. Mm-hmm. And I didn't expect it to affect me as much as it did. Because it really did. It was exceptionally well done. Just those moments where they were standing in silence staring at each other. Right. And then and she you says... Think, oh, this is awkward. But it's not awkward. It's just... And then she says, can I hug you? Yeah. And it's just like, so oh my God. powerful. Absolutely. Right. Because... She- you know, it's it's not it's not his heart. You know, so it's not like she's hugging him to listen to a piece of her son, but right. like her hand is around a piece of her son, mm-hmm. and that's just that's that's pretty moving. Yeah, very good. And the and the scene after it with the two of them sitting talking and mm-hmm. and her acceptance of the fact that he's an alcoholic because she has no say obviously in who gets this right yeah it's whoever needs it she's probably thinking that it's going to be somebody that's abused their liver in in some way i I guess or i guess liver transplants happen for other reasons but they do but your mind just jumps to to alcohol abuse kind of but her acceptance of that was very refreshing and (laughs) and i really liked how carla was Similarly, was there. Very, well, well, she was there, but she was also kind of relieved and pleased to hear that this was what her opinion was. That, yeah. That these people are ignorant, it's a disease, it's not right. a choice, and, and, you know, and they need to to, to wisen up sort of thing. Go so, fuck themselves. Pretty much. So, yeah, the, ho- the whole scene with this Val was, the scenes with this Val was, was really, really affecting, really good. And it just makes me sad that this is how... How we're coming at the end of the the Peter and Carla story and well and the Peter story for now well, yeah a pause in a, the Peter a pause and Carla which story. feels like it was more uh, pitched as a pause in the early days of the the news being leaked or released and feels kind of now that it might be a bit more permanent than that I don't think so and everything that I've read it kind of it feels more like a, as as anyone can be assured of anything, a, a permanent departure. But yeah, I don't want to think about that. Yeah, so and I remember to... when you used to hate the Peter character. Yeah, I like him with Carla though, and actually he's kind of grown. I hated him before he got together with Carla. Mm-hmm. I hated the whole thing briefly with him and Abby. Where I was like, he's too old for her. And then, of course, then they put her with Kev, which... Just, just to piss you off even more. Just to piss me off. That's the only reason why anybody on Coronation Street does anything. Just to piss me off. So it seems. Yes. I think he just, he reminds me of my dad too much. They put them together and then they kind of lost track on what they were together. Right. And then, you know, they, they put Carla through all these these manic episodes and everything and it kind of made the relationship uneven to me because then 
Peter yeah. was white knighting all the time. and He was white knighting or becoming her carer or something right. like that. And that kind of diminishes what it feels like Carla is to the show. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. I just remember how much I really enjoyed that um, that New Year's episode when they were in that old billiard hall right. the whole way through. Yeah. That was a great episode. Yeah. And we have that to look forward to in the coming days where the the word on the street is that there's a two-hander episode coming up with the two of them. As, <laughs> but not like that. As, as, well, not if Tim has anything to say about it, <laughs> where they discuss the relationship in a bit more detail and and whatnot and hopefully hopefully do that justice because I think for a, a couple and a, a set of characters together I think I think they deserve it it was it was a long time coming for the two of them yes and there were so many ups and downs and and bits that we've approved of and bits that maybe less so but yes but over and above anything else it's like there was nothing like a strong Carla with a strong Peter. Yeah. But, you know, they kind of just ran out of ideas, particularly for him. Yeah. What's he not done in his decades on the show? Right. Then you become a character like Kirk that's just there to have a yo-yo at Christmas and throw in a few stupid lines, and that was never Peter's character. No. I felt like it... I don't know. I kind of feel like... They could have done a lot more with him, and it felt like they were they they've been kind of trying to do this, where he's adjusting his relationship to his son, and and now that his son is is grown up mm-hmm. and everything, and it's like one of those relationships that we really don't get to see very often, as opposed to all the other kids with their with their dads and stuff. If Simon and Peter were given as much airtime as Max and David have had over this past year, I kind of feel like that would have benefited both of those characters yeah, I mean, an awful ca- lot. It kind of looked like they were going down a direction of uh, Simon's going to develop a drinking problem. And wh- while I, I don't really want to see that, no, there is part of that that sounds kind of interesting. How does the alcoholic deal with his son becoming an becoming alcoholic? An alcoholic? Yeah. It's like, there's something a little in that that maybe was worth exploring. Mm-hmm. It doesn't sound like it. It sounds like something I would complain about, right? But or just like kind of the aimlessness of Simon and how he feels like he's not good at anything, and he feels like kind of a loser, and he seems to really not have. He doesn't seem really involved with any of the other young people. It comes across on the street. Yeah, it comes across in everything that he he talks about. He had a job that he lost that nobody knew about. Right. He was living in a flat that nobody knew about. Right. And he's, he's got living these with mates people that, that are nobody invisible. knows. Right. So Yeah, it's like the show just doesn't know what to give him. It has no idea. For, no idea what to do with him. And it's all vague and stuff. So if if they'd given him and Peter more time to kind of figure out who Simon is and, and, and guide him in that, that would have been kind of nice. Or maybe maybe Simon goes on the boat too. Maybe Simon leaves as well. well he that might, was always the plan that he Simon might as, would go along. He might as well because we barely see him except when it's convenient to the show. Like the whole stupid Daniel and Ryan thing, like he was this foil for that. And then 
it's kind of like, eh. Yeah, he changed his tune in the same episode. Right. <laughs> just so yeah. bizarre. And that it ends with him shaking hands with Ryan. The last time I think the two of them had a had a decent set of episodes was remember that time that Peter started drinking again and mm-hmm. Simon was just challenging them with a bottle of whiskey mm-hmm. and that was finally Peter's kind of wake up call. Mm-hmm. I don't remember anything since then that's really no. caught my. Well, there was a shouting in the in the balcony of the court. Yeah, when Peter he... wasn't involved in that. Though. No, that's true. Oh well, let's oh, move well. on. Our next storyline is Ryan's big low-key departure. What the fuck was this all about? On Monday. He's going to Glasgow. Crystal's in Nina's roles where she bumps into Debbie and Ronnie. They're surprised to see her and she announces that she and Ryan are off to Glasgow tomorrow. So the subtitles tell me. Yes, to get the best ramen in the world. Yep. Debbie goes to see Ryan for some answers. What the fuck is this about Glasgow? She doesn't think running away solves anything. Ryan says he isn't running away. The Daisy's ship has sailed and he has a future with Crystal. He is leaving no matter what anybody thinks. And this seems to melt Debbie a little bit. Yeah. And she's further melted when she sees Ronnie in the bistro later. He's convinced her not to interfere in Ryan's life anymore. Then Daniel and Ryan run into each other. And Daniel's a big man in public where he can be sure nothing's going to happen as he shoulder barges past Ryan. And Ronnie's quick to break this up, saying that he doesn't want Ryan to humiliate Daniel. Again. For a third time. Yes. Well done. Oh, my God. So... I'm so glad this that so far this week there's been minimum Daniel. Yes. So Ryan joins Debbie and Ronnie. Ronnie thinks Ryan is doing the right thing moving away and Debbie agrees. She still thinks it's a mistake but reckons that Ryan deserves a bit of happiness even if that isn't going to come from Crystal. And then on <laughs> Wednesday Glasgow. at the flat, Peter is reminiscing about some bars in Glasgow. I love this. He mentioned the right. horseshoe bar. Yeah. And I think he got his stats right about the length of it. The longest bar in, in the UK. He wants Peter and Simon to make up before Ryan leaves, so they share a handshake, but it's clear that Simon's heart isn't in it. Peter is taking a pragmatic approach to the Daisy Daniel thing. He says something about people right. in glass houses throwing stones, etc. Right, yes. Which, which is a proper stance to take. Right, this matter, yes, especially on the street. Right. So it's time for Ryan to leave, and it's so incredibly low key. There's just Carla and Debbie there to say cheerio. He hops into Peter's cab and off he fucks. Due to meet Crystal at the airport. They're flying to Glasgow? From Manchester? I didn't even know you could do that. Why not? Daisy steps out of Dev's just in time to see Ryan's arse head round the corner for the last time. Is that it? Because that's as far as we get with that so far this week. At least he at least at least he gets a taxi. Not a black taxi though. Eh. It's just it's Peter's Peter. blue streetcar's car. Which is fine. I don't know. This felt so, so not emotional. I don't know. I felt really emotional because Carla and Debbie are very emotional, you know, and the way they're kind of like arm in arm, kind of sobbing, watching him drive away. I thought that was very sweet because there was a time that Carla and Debbie were were not quite so fond of, of one another, but they seem to have bonded over this protective feeling for Ryan. I see quite a lot of disappointing comments about Debbie. Debbie seems to be a bit of a polarising character. I love her. I do too. What's not to love? But the one thing 
that I think I love about her the most is the way that this relationship with her and Ryan has developed mm-hmm. since the worst heist idea ever since, since the last heist idea. Right. Um, and it's good that the show has remembered this. Yes. Because it doesn't always. No. And the way that she's been so motherly to him and turned up at the hospital to see him and turned right. up to see him during his recovery. and Very much the auntie. Yeah. And it's it's lovely to see that that relationship has, while it's been born out of something that was maybe Ridiculous. ill-judged. Yeah. That it, uh, it remains so strong and... And yeah, I, I don't know, I just wanted a little bit more for him. Now, do you think that is him gone? I don't know. Because the show hasn't really made a big deal about his leaving. Well, this is exactly what I'm either. saying. You know, typically when somebody is, is gone, gone, forever and ever, amen. They, the little... they film that little, mm. well, it's been fun. Thank you so much. Ta! Yep. Because even Stephen got one of those. Deservedly so. <laughs> I remember Sebs made me cry. I was shocked with Sebs because I didn't see that coming at all. Yeah. Yeah, they kept that very low key. They they killed Seb. Yeah. Just when I was starting to like him. Right, because he was so great with Nina. Yeah. (sighs) But yeah, this felt just the end of a a boring old D storyline that nobody really cared about and and that's it. If if he is out, I can understand why. Right, There's because a, of the cost of the makeup. The prosthetic thing would get on anybody's tits after a while. But again, this seems like a character that's been a little aimless. He's had some good storylines. Yes. Especially the acid attack storyline, but but always there's the thought, where do you go after a big storyline like that? Right. Yeah. And we've seen uh, you know, Nina had her big few months where right. there was a Seb stuff going on and right. and all of that. And then she was, she's not really had very much to do since then, apart from falling into a canal, which was hilarious. Let's never, <laughs> let's never forget that. Right. And then the whole Asher thing. And the whole Asher thing, but the whole Asher thing doesn't feel right, huge because, stakes, does yeah. it? Yeah, well... Because we just kind of saw them in the background of other people's stories for the longest time, and now all of a sudden we've decided that they need to break up or something, or what's right. going to... And even that, you know, it's been two weeks since we've seen that storyline bubble up again. Mm-hmm. So it feels like a very slow burn. Yeah. So I, after the acid stuff, I can understand why maybe maybe that's it for this character. Because yeah. there's not an awful lot else going on with Ryan. He's... It's a bit of a nice guy, and... uh, He feels a bit too big for Weatherfield. You think? Like, like he needs to get out of this area in order to... Well, yeah, even he continually talks about it. He's always going off to Ibiza, or plans to go off to Ibiza. Right, yeah. His his entire time that he's been on on the show, or or the entire time he's been in Weatherfield recently, he's been planning his escape. Glasgow, just as good. Not as warm. But, you know. Just a rainy. Lots of culture. Lots of statues with cones on their heads. <laughs> and again, if the best ramen sort of in the world. <laughs> sorry, right. Southeast Asia. <laughs> yeah, and sorry, Ryan, I, I think you deserved, maybe not a, a huge fanfare, but a little bit more than that. Yeah, because, I mean, 
it's one thing for shows that kind of have like like Star Trek, for example, that kind of have prosthetics kind of built into the budget from day one and where you know what you're getting into and and they have these people who are hired specially to do prosthetics who are very good at it but also have to do multiple people as opposed to a soap opera which doesn't have the budget of a star trek television show i doubt it's that expensive i, t- I think it's more a time thing and a the well, can't, can't be bothered going through this every right year. well and that's that's part of the cost part of the cost is the actor having to come in earlier than mm. everybody else to get it put on hiring somebody who specializes in prosthetic makeup and then the continual cost of having to buy the product to make the prosthetics over and over and over again it yeah, adds up i don't know I, I just think it's a colossal pain in the tits and and that's enough for me to think that it's not sustainable, but right. anyway. Either way, it's not sustainable. Moving on. Our next storyline is Platts Assemble. <laughs> on Monday, ahead of the family cleared the air summit at the bistro, Lolly thinks they should all do an ice box. And I thought, is she saying an ice box? No, it's an a nice box. A nice box. Yes. No one knows what that is, so she has to explain. David predictably hates the idea. Right. But Gail loves it, so goes off to grab a box. How very fucking hell, says David. <laughs> and the Beast Road, the Platts, who could give a fuck, turning up, have turned up for Gail's summit and Lily's nice box. It's Sarah, Nick and Suspenders, Lily, David, Sam, Shona, Gail, Max, and Audrey, who isn't there yet. Right. Yeah, and Sarah apologizes that Harry's not there, and it's like... Because <laughs> he's at soft play. <laughs> I don't I don't think Harry would be able to contribute much to this. Right. So but, I uh, think it's fine. But apologies from Harry anyway. Right, yes. Because he's at a friend's house for Christmas party is that, thing. Is that Simon? Who knows? <laughs> Gail wants them to focus on the things that they love about each other. Sarah and David are already at each other's throats, which is what Gail wants to avoid. She dishes out cards for people to write compliments. So Audrey arrives and is tasked with reading out the cards. Someone likes Shona's hair. Someone thinks Sarah is a princess. Nick has good posture thanks to the rod that's stuffed up to his jacksie. David is accused of writing a Nick one, but he wrote the Sarah one. And Sam is disgusted at the bickering and the bad intentions. Later on, more slips are written, but it's all the same sniping with someone who seems to think that Sarah lifts tail at the drop of a hat. Nick Nick and David drift away, but Sam can't hold his tongue any longer. He accuses them of poo-pooing Lily's great idea, which allowed the kids to contribute, and says that they're behaving like children and that it's making Audrey unhappy. He calls them selfish and says he's disappointed in all of them. (laughs) Oh, fuck off, says everyone. And Well, except for Nick, who begins to cry. (laughs) Yes, poor Nick. Oh, God, you can see him just welling up with... (laughs) Shame, but also pride. Or embarrassment. <laughs> a little bit of all of them. <laughs> ah. Sam suggests that people just say things out loud, and Sam and Lily will start. Sam thinks that everyone helped him get over his mum's death. Everyone is able to say nice things until it gets to David, who isn't into compliments but says something nice to Sarah. Audrey can't find the words, and so she leaves. And everyone just watches her go. <laughs> 
She's like, I'm sorry, I just can't do this. What a fucking family. (laughs) She's 80 years old. She's clearly upset. They just let her walk out. Somebody says, should we go after her? And Gail says, nah. (laughs) Just leave her. Yeah. When she wants to go, she goes. So everyone gets home to number eight and pretend to worry about where Audrey is. And then she promptly walks through the door. She feels better after today's activities and thinks that fighting and making up is something that the family does best. And to that end, she announces she will be interviewing David and Maria tomorrow for the manager job at the salon. Dum, dum, dum. So on Wednesday, that seems to be the the plats fixed now. So we pivot. For the time being. So we pivot onto this manager job. And where are they going to do the interviews? At the salon? No. The bistro. There's no place to sit down at a table at the salon. They're through the back. It's toty. It's interview day for the salon manager job. And of course, David and Maria are bickering about who should get it. Audrey interviews Maria first, asking why she thinks she's qualified for the job, which is a funny thing to ask someone you've worked with for so many years, which is pretty much what Maria says. Audrey's worried about the conflict with the council work, but Maria thinks it benefits the salon as it puts her in the centre of the community. Audrey's impressed. And Maria mentions doing some fancy new things like micro-threading and some non-surgical... Right, yeah, and, you know, facials and, and things like that. Yeah, and, Mar- and Audrey becomes less impressed by right. that. Maria Maria also, you know, mentions the fact that Audrey used to be in politics as well. Oh, yes. Ach- yes. Actually. Oh. Actually. Mm-hmm. Well remembered. Yes. So then Audrey is interviewing David, who plays the blood is thicker than water card. Audrey wants to know his vision for the salon, which makes David shut himself. He doesn't really have an idea one way or the other. Right. Other than to accommodate for the barber clientele, and he thinks the salon needs a makeover. It's already had a makeover, says Audrey. Right. It needs another makeover, says David. Right, yeah. Just, and I mean, I can kind of see his point. I mean, obviously, there's no room to put a motorcycle in there. Right. And we've already gotten rid of Vin Weasel. But, you know, it it wouldn't wouldn't hurt to like maybe change the curtains to something less frilly gail turns up at the bistro worried about christmas lunch so nick suggests that he takes care of it again in there so that's the bistro getting used for christmas yay gail goes to speak to audrey who doesn't think either david or maria are qualified and she's starting to think that she might be the best choice so later she calls david and maria over and tells them that she's decided to hire Audrey to be the manager of the salon. Right. She'll manage it and leave them to cut the hair. So long, suckers. <laughs> what a waste of fucking time that was. But she'll let David accommodate the barber customers and she allows Maria to do micro-threading or whatever the fuck that was. Huzzah! Right. It's your eyebrows. I know. I know what it is. Okay, well... She doesn't. And that was a right. joke. Right. Okay. Well, you thought Jojo Siwa was a drag queen, so... <laughs> Sometimes I feel like I have to explain things Prove to, to me that she's not. How's that? And that's as far as we get with that this week. Lesbians and drag queens are two different things. If only there was an easy way to remember. Ah, <laughs> <coughs> uh, yeah. What did you think of the plat assemble moment in the bistro? I'm guessing that you loved it. Well, I was kind of disappointed because last week it felt like it was building to something a little bit more exciting. It was a bit, wasn't it? Then, you know, then Gail forcing everybody to be nice to each other again. Because we've had this before. Once or twice. 
Yeah. Once this, a, once a this, quarter, I think. This has been attempted by Gail before. I liked Sam stepping in. I think a lot of people had, have had their fill of Sam doing things like that. Right. And his voice was very whispery this week. Like he had a sore throat or something. I don't know. Either that or, you know, he was the understudy for Bradley Cooper and, and Maestro. But... Yes, that must be what it is. But... Because it sounded like Leonard Bernstein came from Wigan. <laughs> Can you imagine? Oh. <laughs> and, and his shirt, I I could have sworn his shirt was like going to be like, like Japanese, like a Godzilla or something. Because all you saw was like the red sun. Right. Until he stood up. And that was kind of disappointing because it just said, I like to go on vacation or something. It was lame, lame, whatever it was. Sunshine, sunshine. It was like, oh, man, I thought that shirt was going to be cooler. Right. And I kind of liked how he, how he and Lily kind of stood up to everybody and were joined forces on, oh, God, our adults are so terrible. Yeah. And I thought the point that he made that I really liked was, look, Lily made the suggestion because it allows her to contribute. Right. So you all taking the piss out of it means that you're taking the piss out of your heart. Right. And that isn't cool. Yeah. And he was absolutely right about that. He was absolutely right. Like, I couldn't believe some of the stuff David was saying while sitting right across from his daughter. Right. Like, fucking hell, David. You're you're beating out Tyrone for worst parent of the street at the moment. There was that. I don't think it was deliberate, and I think I might have imagined it, but there was that (laughs) moment where Sam stands up and says... I've lost my mum. Right. And it cuts to Max and Lily going, so? <laughs> but like it, it also cut to David. Club. And David was doing kind of eagle-eyed action man as he was trying to find something to look at that wasn't Sam. Right. And also kind of looking around like, we know this. What is this point? <laughs> Where's it going with this? Right. And then he goes somewhere. But it is hilarious that all three of those children's mother is dead. I tell you, there's nothing worse to be in fiction than a mother. That's true. That's very true. I've been saying it for years. Mm -hmm. I think we all saw this coming with Audrey deciding that she wasn't going to retire after all, right? Right. What's what's Audrey going to do if she retires? Right. And I mean, and she decided she's going to do exactly what we said she should do. Sit behind the counter and schedule appointments. And suckle up all the profits. Yeah. Well... Not all of them. Well, she's basically getting paid for other people's work, which is what a boss does. Right. Or what an owner does. Right. But she would have been she would have been getting their chair rentals anyway. So it doesn't really change much. I don't I don't know what she was paying them for being management. Who would you briefly. have picked out of those two? Audrey. Oh really? I think I'd have given Maria the job. Maria, Maria had at least a vision of what she wanted to do with it, and it did make sense. I think the reason that she didn't, that Audrey didn't give it to Maria, was because she didn't understand the newfangled techniques, which she'd already complained about in a, 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 a um, right. earlier episode. Yeah, I think I think when Maria Kirk wanted a fade. <sighs> <sighs> I think Maria has a lot on her plate already, because she's also on the council. And Which stuff. doesn't seem to take up an awful lot of her time. 
Yeah, we we barely get to see we we haven't seen a council meeting since the P guy was on the show, Wait. and then we got rid of the P guy. So I guess there's no point in showing council meetings anymore, Wait. which is fine because. Council meetings tend to be very, very boring Absolutely. in real life. So you think she did the right thing then by, yeah. by going back? Yeah, she probably did. Because it gives her something to do. And David was never going to accept Maria's management. They were going to be sniping at one another. Right, and then David would just make Maria's life hell. Right, yeah. So this, t- this way there's like a barrier between them. Right. And someone for them to both hate. Yes. All right, moving on. Our next storyline is, do you want to bet? On no. Monday at home, Ed is secretly checking his Wong alone. It was 500. Now it's nearly 600. It's gone up so quickly. That's the whole point of payday loans. Meanwhile, Sarge wants to chip in on the Christmas shopping costs, but Ed refuses as he's a guest. Michael, though, forces him to accept 50 quid from him. Seemingly, Aggie has been pestering him to get a big fuck-off turkey for Christmas. So Ed rushes... Even though she's not going to be there. Yeah, so Ed rushes off to work, supposedly. At the builder's yard, he's on the phone looking for the best odds and some nag. Sarge comes along and is now insisting that he puts something into the Christmas pot. He's wasted too many Christmases in the past, so wants to start making up for that now. And he gives Ed 75 quid and makes him take it. This may be his last Christmas after all. So later, Ed listens to a race on the radio and it's clear that he's not picked a winner with his presumably 125 quid. Yikes. He gets home and pretends that he ordered the turkey and has some money left over to buy Aggie something nice and then rushes upstairs for a lie down or to shite his pants. On Wednesday, Sarge, Ronnie and Michael are talking about Christmas preparations. Ed finishes up a call with Aggie as he comes down the stairs. She definitely won't be back for Christmas. So Ed wants to keep it low-key, but Michael and Sarge want to make it an amazing day for Glory, and absolutely they should. Yes, because this is the first Christmas where she knows what's going on. Yeah. So the house is quieter later, and Ed is fretting about the money when Sarge puts some pressure on Ed to get the money that Ed had promised him for his uh, food truck business. Ed says it's going to take a minute to move some money around, which Sarge finds suspicious. And Ronnie, when he catches wind of this at the builder's yard, he thinks Ed is just winding his dad up and that he should cough up the money for Sarge now. And then the pile-on continues when Ed gets a call from Tony, who still hasn't been fucking paid. Seriously, and and it's like a couple days before Christmas. Right. And rather than answer the call, Ed dingies it. He does get an idea, though, and he calls a client called John. All right, John. All right, John. 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 To beg for some work, but it's a non-starter. Paul passes by the builder's yard on his way to do some Christmas shopping, and Paul thanks Ed for his patience with his payment for the work that Ed did in the bathroom, but not like that, and announces that Billy dropped payment off at Ed's house earlier. Ed comes in his pants a wee bit and rushes home. But back home, Sarge has already got his mitts on the money Billy dropped off, and he's mistaken it for the money Ed promised to give him. Ed is gutted, but lets his dad believe that this was intended all the way. Sarge is thrilled and promises to repay whenever he can. So Ed is moping at Nina's rolls. Evelyn tells him to order something or fuck off. Ronnie comes in to check that he's okay, seeing as he fucked off from work earlier. He thinks a party might be just the ticket to celebrate their successes this year and suggests an expensive do for the family at the bistro. Yeah, that's not a party. No, and the party is just them sitting in the same booth right. at the bistro that they always sit at. That's, that's not a party. But there's no Didi. And if there's no Didi... There's no party. There's no party. And there's no Debbie. Oh, there's definitely no party then. Yeah. You're, you're forgetting the 
The double D's. Ronnie has cash from the business, so the drinks are on them. So David orders a spearmint splash. And later, they're all about gas. What is gassed. in a spearmint splash? Who knows? Later, they're all about gas. Ronnie's happy to see Ed happy. Ed goes off for a shite, but he's intercepted by Tony, who has turned up and has lost his patience. He's been watching Ed lording it up and buying drinks for the entire pub, and he thinks Ed has been taking him for a mug. He demands his money tomorrow, or they'll be bother. Ed suddenly doesn't need that shite anymore. No. And that's as far as we get with that. Yeah. Good job, Tony. Well done. Oh, finally. And they're trying to make out that, that Tony's a bit threatening. Well, he is threatening. Right. But he's threatening for a reason. <clears throat> yeah, but he has that kind of baddie look about him. But he's not a baddie. No. He's a man who's owed money. Right. And <laughs> owes his it. children a Christmas with this money. I don't like that they've, they've taken this character who is grateful to Ed because he'd just gotten out of prison for some reason and, you know, and needed the work. And now they're like, oh, no, look, it's a baddie. He's so bad. Threatening Ed. Ed is the baddie. Yeah. He owes that man money. I'm so confused, though. And I guess this is maybe the whole point of the the addiction that Ed has. He went to a meeting. He's talked to people about his problem. He's admitted his problem. But and then it, he just but, goes back but, to doing it. Yeah, it's like... Nothing's changing. Right. And, and that, it should have changed when he went back to that meeting. And he should have been going to meetings all along. But it feels like he had all of the best intentions. But then he needed the money. So, like, his brain's like, the best way to get money quick is to bet. Which is not true. Mm-hmm. Well, he's just in the spiral of chasing his losses. But when you think of who right. he owes money to and, and how much, I mean, at least Sarge has been paid off for now, so that's one thing he doesn't have to worry about. But he's got the 125 quid for Christmas that has presumably been lost on the, on the bet. Yeah. There's, um, I, I, did they get Glory the Wendy house? I thought he did, but now I'm, I'm sure. confused. So Christmas is kind of in, in peril Right. Here. Does he owe money? Is Ronnie? No. Okay, so he doesn't owe money there. But it's kind of just spiraling spiraling out of control. Right. He's taken money from a few people. He's lost it. Right. So where is he going to get? Money for Turkey. Right. At the very least, where is that going to come from? At least. And I don't think he's got anybody any Christmas presents yet. At least, once he gets the money for Turkey, he'll get the chicks for free. that's so bad (laughs) (sighs) almost as bad as the song itself which is a terrible song well it's a terrible song now it was was a a terrible song it was a great song at the time the, the music video was great, and Sting is great, but the song... The guitar hook's fantastic as well. This, the, 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 the Mama's got it shaking in the camera. That was not good. None of that was good. Even then, it was not good. But anyway. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I feel like, uh, as I try and, try and get the smell of that joke out of my nostrils, <laughs> as, 
as we get closer to Christmas, I feel like his uh, his house of cards is is it about ready has, to fall because he can't keep on juggling this. No, and Tony is the most volatile part of this whole thing. Right. If if the Billy money and the Paul money was to go anywhere, it, it probably should have gone, gone to, to Tony. Tony. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but of course, Billy would just irresponsibly just drop a wad of cash on on the on the kitchen table yeah under the under the table is it under the table you're paying in cash yeah why yeah. why is this not a, not a check? check here <laughs> this is nobody pays with checks or anymore. like yeah but they don't pay in cash either <laughs> all of this could have been solved with venmo there we go all right our penultimate storyline tonight is evelyn's gift on Wednesday, Evelyn arrives at Tyrone's. She's drawn a blank on the puppy farm thing from last week, thank goodness. Tyrone wants peace and quiet as he's off to Norwich with the girls to celebrate Christmas with Fizz. Yay! Evelyn is looking forward to her and present for Roy, which she's got him. She thinks that he's going to love it. And to heal his ACL. Cassie has nothing planned, so Evelyn is gutted into inviting her along with her and Roy. And Cassie jumps at the offer to Evelyn's disappointment. Evelyn is in Nina's roles talking about Christmas plans when Roy's back seems to seize up. So Evelyn sends him upstairs and Debbie helps out. Right. And Debbie, first person ever on the street to do this, comments yeah. about how cute they are together. Uh-huh. Yeah. Evelyn finally. Does not like this. Finally, somebody notices. So at Nina's roles later, Cassie is singing the praises of South African puddings. Roy comes downstairs, so Evelyn orders Cassie to help him back up. Cassie mentions that Evelyn has Roy a very special gift and suggests that he does likewise. And she does this on the quiet. Right. So a little whisper in Roy's ear, by the way, you might want to know that Evelyn's getting you something fancy here. So you might want to get something. Of course, she doesn't know what it is. No, she has no idea. I mean, if it's train related, he's going to love it. At Tyrone's, it's Wednesday. And that means book chat. (laughs) Hope likes Roald Dahl because of all the racism. Evelyn is more a Winifred Holtby kind of gal and reminisces about a special edition she had as a girl and as Cassie hears this, the story becomes that bit from Friends where Chandler buys a copy of The Velveteen Rabbit for Joey to give to Cathy. This whole conversation is kind of hilarious because, like, Hope is explaining a scene in a Roald Dahl book Oh, which one is it? The one with the lamb chop over the head. Or the leg of lamb over the head. Lamb to the Slaughter. It's a short story. Oh, so she's reading. Wow. Hope is reading Roald Dahl's short stories, which are predominantly for adults. Well, never mind. That's <laughs> not one of the ones that Wes Anderson just uh, did a short movie on. But, you know, Evelyn is talking about Roald Dahl like... Like he's like a newfangled, oh, you, you, you teenagers with your newfangled authors. We didn't have any of that in my day. And it's like, Evelyn. Roald Dahl was. Roald Dahl. I mean, that story that was referenced was 1953, I think. Roald Dahl has been dead longer than Tyrone's been alive, which (laughs) is not technically true, but it feels that way. So that was kind of weird. It was like, of all of like the new YA authors that they could have referenced, you know, especially ones that have, like, murder and stuff. Or are still alive. Right. Yeah. I mean, Lemony Snicket, Suzanne Collins, Jerker Rollin. 
<laughs> no. You know. It Who was, was that weird. guy that wrote the Paper Towns? I quite like that book. Oh, oh, God. What is his name? Because he wrote The Fault in Our Stars as well. Yes. Green. Green is his last name. John Green. I think it is John Green. John Green. Yeah, you're right. Ah, look at that. Smarter than I think. That's some impressive YA knowledge there. Thank you very much. Especially yes, so, so read somebody like that. Yeah. Or the... I don't know. I quite like the 13 Reasons Why book. But maybe not a book for hope to be reading. Yeah. Yeah, it just, it, it felt funny for Evelyn to say that about Roald Dahl, one way or the other. I mean... Yeah, and seemed to have never heard of him. Right, yeah. <laughs> really? Maybe it was because of the, the deep dive to... I know, isn't he like a national treasure yes. still? Yes, Even with Wonka. all the anti-Semitism? The Wonka. Right, the Wonka. Everyone knows, everyone knows Roald Dahl. Yeah. So anyway. Anyway. Tyrone, meanwhile, doesn't know what a book is. Cassie says that she's changed her mind because she's had a little think all of a sudden and will let Evelyn and Roy enjoy their Christmas without her. Mm-hmm. Cassie quickly goes to Roy's to tell him about the book and thinks that would be the perfect gift for Evelyn. Where am I meant to get that in five days? That's your problem, Chief, says Cassie. She says it'll just be Roy and Evelyn for Christmas now as she's bailing out, to which Roy announces that Mary will be there too. Oh, boo! Thrupple? No. Mm. And that's as far as we get with that so far this week. Mary is going to piss the tits out of Evelyn. Yes. That's not a good combination at all. And why isn't Mary spending Christmas with Dev and, and the kids? Or Brian. Brian, yeah, they're supposed to be. Remember when they were like oh, going to be a, a couple? Finger touches and right, yeah, and then the show seemed to forget about that. It's like, oh no, that's that's enough for Mary. She doesn't get to have a romantic storyline. No romance for you, Mary. You're just here to be funny mm-hmm. and be in love with your blanket or whatever. And Ben Shepherd, yeah, yeah, her Ben Shepherd blanket. Yeah, um, yeah, it. I'm sure there's a bookshop nearby. Of course, it's like a limited edition. Well, it's in a charity shop all the time. It's going to turn up in the charity shop, I imagine. Not in the next two days, though. In the next two days. Your suspension of disbelief is going to be put to the test when in the next two days that book turns up. Right. In fact, it needs to turn up on Friday because Christmas is Monday. I I thought it was very interesting, too, because apparently... It was her husband who threw it away, yep. like after a tiff. Mm-hmm. And I was like, this is very interesting because we've never heard that her husband was anything but good as gold. And it was all, Cassie's, it was all Cassie's fault that he died, that, he, that she put the strain on him and everything. I thought he was a rotter. I had that in my mind. I can't think why, but yeah, I thought he was a why rotter. Would, why, if, why would Evelyn care to blame Cassie for his death if he was a rotter. To make Cassie feel bad? Who knows? Anyway. I thought th- I just thought that was an interesting detail because it reminded me of that time that Eli threw away like a whole the whole contents of a trunk of mine because to him it was just like paper and garbage and it was like all of the things I had written Oh really? Good up God. until that point in my life old diaries and stuff and 
books and certificates and awards. Yeah, I, my mum threw out my uh, Gavin Can Swim 25 Metres Breaststroke certificate. And now I don't know how I can prove to people that I can do that. Well, jump in a pool every once in a while. Yeah, but seriously. I'm never there, getting... There must, be, there must be an easier way to do that, I'm right? never getting those stories back. No. And I was at work, and the, the dumpster had been emptied by the time I got home. Oh, boo, that's a sad story. It is a sad story. Fucking sucks. But anyway. Keeping it light. Keeping it light. Let's move on to our final storyline. I've moved on to better husbands. Well, let's hope so. At least one. <laughs> That'd be you. Oh, phew. <laughs> our final storyline, the code to the rovers. <sighs> oh, yikes. On Monday, Jenny and Daisy are chatting about the journal and the possibility that it holds some clues to Stephen's password for his account and for the secret file that's in the laptop. Mm-hmm. Jenny and Carla intend to ask Audrey for a peek at it. So Audrey meets up with Jen and Carla, but she has no intention of showing them the journal. She says it's far too private. Carla loses a rag at this, accusing Stephen of killing folk and stealing all of Underworld's money. Best Audrey's going to do is look through the journal for clues for them, but will have to wait as it's currently with Gail. So Carla and Jenny are joined by Daisy. Carla isn't impressed, but Jenny explains that short of stealing that journal from Gail's house, they're shit out of luck. Carla leaves and Daisy makes an attempt to insist that Jenny's due some compo here. Jenny disagrees. The factory's on its knees and she asks Daisy to drop them. It. And the bees. They need to move on. <laughs> Daisy. You bu- lost your rhyme there. For I know. A I, I didn't realise there was a rhyme there until I read it out. <laughs> Daisy bumps into Daniel. He's an asshole to her. He winds her up about Ryan leaving for Glasgow tomorrow and reckons that he dodged a bullet. He reckons that she'll wait for the next sap to come along. She says that she doesn't need him, Ryan, or anyone, and will be buying the rovers without his money. I don't know why she says that to him. She says that he'll believe it when he sees it. Daisy shows up at the bistro where the Platts are having their family summit in another storyline, and she does some top-class snooping to discover that number eight is currently empty. And on her way out, she lifts the keys out of David's pocket that's, and, that's hanging up on the coat stand. And we know it's David's pocket because it's a jean jacket. It's a denim jacket, yes. So Daisy uses the key, lets herself into number eight and starts looking for the journal in all the obvious places. The kitchen, inside the washing machine, the sinkhole, but no luck. When she opens the utensil drawer, I'm like, really? Right. Really? Is it on the coffee table? No. Then it's not in the house. (laughs) Pretty much. Daisy is about to leave when Audrey comes home and this forces Daisy to do a max and run up the stairs. She watches Audrey search for the journal and find it and put it in her tote bag and leave. It was behind a cushion on the on the couch, which is an obvious place to look. Right. Unlike the utensil drawer. <laughs> this allows Daisy to drop off David's keys and leave through the back door, but she's eventually seen by Jenny as she comes round the gunnel. Daisy admits that she was looking for the journal. She was wanting to do something good for a change, but Jenny is not happy. That money is underworlds, she insists. And later, Audrey meets Daisy at Maxine's bench, and these people chat for the first time as Audrey explains that she's gone to the charity shop with Stephen's clothes and dumped his journal in the garbage in the tote bag. This is her moving on. Rightio then, cheerio, says Audrey, and Daisy eyes up having a fucking great old rake through that garbage. Back at Jenny's. Back at Rita's, Jenny's still in the mood with Daisy, but agrees to give her a loan of Stephen's laptop. She goes off for a bath, and while white-hat hacker Daisy 
sets to sussing out that password. Her first 15 guesses, which include things like home, Canada, the Rovers, Toronto, Happy Place. Calgary, which he's not even from. All draw a blank. Thankfully, this laptop allows 17 guesses. And thanks to a postcard that's stuffed in the back pages of the journal, she cracks it. Tofino. Yeah, but first, before trying Tofino, the big obvious thing on the postcard, she uses a magnifying glass to look at the sign (laughs) on the cottage behind. And it says Seaside Cottage. Seagull Cottage. Seagull Cottage. This is why it's the seagull investment thing. And instead of trying seagull, she tries tries cottage. She tries cottage. She tries cottage, people. She tries cottage. She she only has two choices left. Two tries left. Yep. And one of them's cottage. Because she's already tried home. Because this this account would be, or this file would be protected with a four-letter word. Right. (sighs) So, it's Tofino. And not only that, the file is a link to an account and it's the same password to access the account and in it she finds the 250 grand that Stephen stole from the factory. Yeah, fucking beauty, she says. Yas, queen. Yeah. But she has to put Tofino in twice. That was hilarious. Yeah, because it's once to get into the file and then once to get into the account. Right. Yeah. So So he uses the same password twice instead of, you know, I don't know. You need something else for the second one. I need a thumbprint on my face right. to get into my Starbucks app. <laughs> but apparently all you need to get into this £250,000 account is a seven-letter word. No, and the no, police were... No, multi, un- no multi-factor authentication here, by the way. And the police were unable to crack this. And I know she has to crack it because there isn't a story if she can't crack right. it. Right. And I know it isn't a, you know, when he was setting up the password for this account, Google suggested a 16-character long series of random letters and symbols mm-hmm. that she would never crack. I know that she has to crack it. Right. But it's the fact that we get to see the first 15 guesses that she's made right. that are so hilariously dreadful. And then cottage. And then cottage. Right. Because she's like, it can't be this obvious big word right here. I'm going to use a magnifying glass, which I know Rita has in the store right over here. Because she like goes right to it. Yeah. Presumably she's already checked the utility drawer for the magnifying glass. Yeah. And also the utensil drawer. Utensil drawer, yeah. (laughs) Uh, Both drawers. So so stupid. So many drawers. Anyway, on Wednesday, Daisy's looking at the account information the next day and the state agent page for the Rovers on separate tabs. Ah. Jenny comes in and complains about the mess in the room and Daisy's about to show Jenny what she's found when Rita comes in and Daisy becomes cagey. Later, Jenny and Carla bump into each other and watch a couple viewing the Rovers. Carla explains that this deal might save Underworld that's going on. She, Carla has a... An important meeting. Right. Jenny would like to borrow some money from Carla if it all goes well, but Carla tells Jenny to suck her balls, and so begins a massive row that goes to Johnny's inheritance, the factory, Aiden, and Stephen, whose actions put Carla in this mess in the first place. Right, and then also Daisy being a slag. Yeah, Daisy catches the end of this, sticks up for Jenny, and Carla looks for a scrap about all this, then Roy comes out, throws a bucket of water over them all, and they scatter. 
Right. Back at Rita's, Jenny With and Carla in their teeth. have calmed down until Jenny notices that the flat is still a mess. Jenny starts to tidy up and finds Stephen's journal and demands an explanation. So Dad explains how she got it, which calms Jenny slightly, but she still insists the money is Carla's. Jenny leaves for lunch with Rita as Daisy starts to move Stephen's money into her account, starting with 50 quid. Now, this storyline only works if they both constantly say to one another that the money is Carla's. The money's not Carla's. The money belongs to the factory. That money is meant to pay the workers who have been... Like Tony, yep. underpaid forever and should be paid in full right before Christmas. Mm-hmm. If, they, if, if, if they thought about it in those terms, this storyline can't happen. Yeah, because they're doing this for the community. But to do this, they're stealing money from the from community. From the community, mm-hmm. right. And if it's Carla, well, then they can have this manufactured row and that puts their dander up and you know and it's okay to steal from carla yeah but if it's accurate and we say it's the factory's money and it's going to pay you know izzy and sally and beth mm-hmm. well maybe not so much beth kirk right. and other people and the, and the silent people in the background of the factory all the knicker people right then it's like, well, no, Daisy, what you're suggesting is really, really reprehensible. Yeah, yes. You are stealing from poor people. Yes. Yeah. You're the anti-Robin Hood here. Right, yes. You and, are... and also, let's remember that the workers own the means of production. Correct. Sarah is prepping for the meeting at the bistro when Daisy comes in for a bottle of champers and her card, freshly replenished with 50 quid, goes through. Belter. It works. Right, and it was ridiculous because Nick's like, oh, look, it went, okay, you're all set. It went through. What a strange thing to say. What a strange thing to say to a person. You say, thank you, because you expect it to go through. Right, yeah. Back at Rita's, Daisy has another go at telling Jenny her news and gives her some champers. She says that she cracked a password and suggests that they keep every penny of Stephen's money. Jenny thinks this is madness, but Daisy says Carla has already written off the money and Jenny deserves a compo. She hasn't. She hasn't written off the money. She and uh, she and Jenny just went to Audrey to beg for this journal so that they could get the money. When did when did Carla ever write off the money? And also, she can't write off the money because the insurance won't pay because it was negligence. Well, she's written it off in her head that she doesn't expect to get it back anymore. That's what that means. Yeah, but that's not true because we saw her with Audrey trying to get the thing yeah now that she can't do that she's given up i don't think that's true well anyway jenny and daisy who don't work at the factory turn up at the factory jenny needs to see carla but sarah explains that carla's out and they're celebrating a successful meeting and a mahoosive order daisy thinks that this means that they should leave and let her enjoy her good news jenny asks that carla gets in touch when she can back at rita's daisy thinks this is the universe telling jenny to wise up jenny still thinks it's theft because Because it it is. is Daisy says that they can pay Carla back over time. What? How? How? But, how do you pay someone back who doesn't know that you stole their money? Well, when you've got the money to give them, you say, "By the way, I stole this money from you. Here you go. Here it's back." Yeah. By the way, I I stole all this money, even though it's way more than it will cost to buy the rovers. To buy the rovers. 
What are they going to do with... Because that's far too much money to buy the rovers. 250,000? Wasn't it like 250 million? No! A quarter of a billion pounds? Yes. No! Because it was all the money that the factory had. Uh, it was a I would quarter hope, of a million. I would hope that the factory has more than 250,000. No, th- that was it. It was 250,000. That's the, ridiculous. The idea that that factory is sitting on a quarter of a billion pounds. They have so many it's people not, to pay. It's not Apple. Yes, it is. It's the Apple of the street. Then we'd call them the Apple people. <laughs> and we don't. <clears throat> and there's no way that Beth's sitting there making iPads. <laughs> so... Jenny thinks this isn't Daisy. Daisy says, This is me. And then she says, The fiance to Daniel, that wasn't me. And she says, This is you too, Jenny. TikTok, it's by the rovers o'clock. Right, yeah. Later, Rita is worried that Jenny and Daisy have fallen out. They get talking, and Rita says that Daisy reminds her of Jenny. Whoever buys that pub will have big shoes to fill, says Rita. Oh, this conversation is with Jenny. Carla arrives just as Rita leaves, wanting to know what was so fucking important. And Jenny thinks, and then she just apologises for what she said earlier. Carla tells her to forget it. They talk about the big deal that's gone through, and Carla reckons that in a few months they'll be back to where they were before Stephen came along. Right, well after Christmas, and these people need to be paid now and not in a couple of months. And Jenny says, you know, I'm still your your evil, twisted stepmother. And Carla says, yeah, you're not really my stepmother anymore. You're just a mate. Right. And this seems to sting Jenny somewhat. As it should. Yes. Uh, But not enough. But then Carla says that if she had the money, she'd have lent it to Jenny in a shot. Yikes, says Jenny. And back at Rita's, Jenny is drinking the champagne straight from the bottle in an introspective kind of mood or so it seems. She tells Daisy that she didn't tell Carla about the money and declares herself in. Let's buy the fucking pub. Daisy is thrilled, but wants her name as co-owner, and privately, they'll be equals. Jenny wants to pay Carla back as soon as they can. Conditions agreed upon. It's time to seal the deal with a squeal. And that's how we end this week's episodes. And that is terrible. <coughs> terrible. This can't, this can't happen. Well, it's going to happen. Well, it can't happen. Well, because, it, it, it's well, no, going to. It can't happen because then... Every time there's a scene in the rovers, people are going to remember that Jenny stole money from the people of the street, from the knicker people, to buy this pub back. This pub that, let's all remember, wasn't making money anymore, and that's why she sold it in the first place. Yeah, it's an absolute money pit, (laughs) And, and I don't know why they're so desperate to buy it. I also don't know why the show, I do know. Let's pretend for a second that I don't. Why the show is so desperate to have the rovers reopen. Because you know what? I haven't missed it. I think the bistro is working perfectly well. Really? Because the I place feel... that people go for a drink. I yeah, feel I think it, it is. I feel it's kind of weird. It's kind of weird I've got for, used to, it. to have so many scenes in the bistro. I feel like I've got used to it. You know, it's it's weird to have... So many people, although apparently this week, nobody's going out to eat at all anywhere. We don't really see. It's weird because the bistro will close for Christmas. Right. So that they can 
feed but themselves. But they're doing their like private party. Whereas right. in real life, they probably would be open on Christmas Day for people who don't want to cook and, and stuff like that. Right, yeah. Speed but, Doll's got to be open though. But um, yeah, I, I just think that it's a better space that you can fit more people in. Absolutely. And the Rovers is so old and cramped. And, and dark it, and tired. And yet it feels so very empty when it's quiet. Yeah. So, I don't know. I I was kind of made my peace almost, despite knowing that this was only a matter of time before this, right. this happened. But wouldn't that have been a brave move just to say, fuck it, and that's the rover's gone? Right, yeah, because because now it kind of negates the impact of it closing. You know? There was all this Well, it means that they were right. And apologizing to pictures and stuff. It would have been interesting if it had reopened as like some gastropub sort of thing with a TV on the wall and, and stuff and new owners and bartenders with flair on them sort of thing. That would have been interesting. I would have liked that. Because it would have been different. It would have been updated. Because they have updated the place before. Yeah, it's very different to how it was at the start and how it was in the 70s and 80s. Right. And so Yeah, it, it's, it's been a, a shifting, if constant, presence in the, in the show. But yeah, I just think that maybe this was a chance to, to do something different. But I mean, they're it doesn't look get... like it's going to... Or, or maybe they will... Uh, revamp it when they open it up but yeah the fact remains that this place was not making money yeah and having the same person on board probably isn't going to do much to change that no daniel was never going to be the no the the savior to, God, to, the, no. to the whole thing but but daisy's not going to be either because like currently she's a pariah on the street mm-hmm. because Cheating only hurts the women. And for the eye candy aspect of it, well, that wasn't bringing in business beforehand, so no. why is it going to... I mean, there'll be an uptick when it opens because, right. because of course it will. But, but I mean, it does feel like everybody's kind of used to the bistro now. Can I be pedantic or, again? Or drinking at home, going to Debs and getting a bottle. Well, it reflects society a bit better that people are drinking less. More people are stopping drinking. Right. Young people are drinking less. Or they drink at home because right. they can't, because the laws are so strict as far as drunk driving is concerned, and as cost, they should be. And cost of living crises as right. well. Right, so, yes. So the fact that a pub closes down is not that shocking. Right. The fact that a pub that was about to close down reopens is probably the shocking aspect of it. Right, yeah. And they're like, oh, well, we need this for the community. The community is doing fine without it. Right. Without it. The only thing that they're concerned about is it's an eyesore when it's all boarded up. Right. But nobody's saying, oh, isn't it a shame that we can, couldn't get back in the Rovers? No. And I don't understand why Daisy wants to own the place off her acid attack anyway. Right, yeah. There's that too. I want to co-own the place where the most horrific thing ever to happen to me happened to me if i can be pedantic just a little bit Uh again and there are bad memories for jenny too i don't know how easy or undetectable it is to move a quarter of a million pounds from an offshore account 
into your account. Right. Because here, if you transfer 10 grand or more, you've got to fill out money laundering right. stuff. Yeah. So moving a quarter of a million quid in one go, I imagine it's going to set some dodgy transaction flags a fluttering. Right. Yeah. Especially so, since it's so close to the amount stolen by Stephen. Because, like, the, the cops are focusing more on the murder part. Yes. But if something like that happens... And the bank goes to the police about it. Right. Yeah. They're going... And, and also, people are going to be questioning where they got the money from to do this. Well, she says it's just going to be a bank loan. That's what she's going to tell people. Right. But there's a lot of steps to buying a property, as you know. You've done it every. You've done it a few times in your life. I've done it on multiple continents. Yes, yes. Yeah. That's just the kind of man you are. Right. And by multiple, I mean two. <laughs> That's multiple. That's, That's fine. I think. And you know there are hoops you have to go through to prove that you have the money to buy a place. Well. In this instance, you show them your bank statement. Right. Because they're not having to go for a mortgage. Right. But, you know, it'll be like, what is, what is your employment status? And all this other stuff. It's not easy to buy a property. Well, if you're going for a loan, but remember, they're not going for a loan. Yeah. The, they're going to pay, pay in cash for... So, and then no, none of those questions are asked because they're paid in full. I just, I just feel like they're going to be found out rather quickly. It feels like they should be found out. Whether they will be found out, especially, I don't know. But it if, feels like they should be. Right. Especially since, again, it's Christmas time and the knicker people haven't been paid. Well, they were paid. Yet. They were paid, but they weren't paid all they were owed. Yeah, some back pay. I think they're still right. due, and probably some overtime that they're still due. Yeah, and you really don't want the audience's mind to be reminded of this really awful thing that a beloved character has done every time there's a scene in the Rovers. Well, I feel like this. I feel like people are. I know I am really disappointed in Jenny. But a, a quick look at Instagram before before we started recording. Lots of people are disappointed in Jenny and not happy about this. And they're like, Daisy, we can understand. Daisy, this is believable. But we're really disappointed in Jenny. And this doesn't feel like something Jenny would do. And I don't know if I really like this character anymore. And I used to really like her. Well, is, is this even believable for... For Daisy, they've spent so long trying to rehabilitate her character. Right. Albeit not re rehabilitating the bit that everyone has the biggest problem about where she sexually assaulted Ryan. Right, yeah. But, um, and then the show forgot about that. And then they had consensual sex. Which cancels that previous stuff out, obviously. Well. But um, I don't even know if it is Daisy anymore. Controversially, maybe? I kind of like this. I think this is interesting. I don't think it's interesting at all. And I think it goes against character. And I think there's a much better way to buy the rovers back, even though it's a failed business and we don't need it. Imagine, imagine if they didn't have to do the upkeep of the rovers anymore. 
I mean, I know it's iconic and everybody who goes and tours the set has their picture taken in front of the rovers. Mm-hmm. And that's why they can't so get it. So I get that. But I don't know, make it something else. It becomes a stone round your neck after a while, and that's how it feels to me. That, <laughs> like certain characters. Right, that the rovers can't can't not be there because of the reasons that you've just said. Yeah. Because when it's, people think Coronation Street, they think the rovers. But I I really wish now that they'd just cut the cord and Right. And got rid or of it. Or just let those people that initially bought it not pull out for some reason. Yeah, when let, they were so gung ho about it. Yeah, let them have it. Let them have it. Let them do their whole gastropub thing. And that would be an interesting storyline. These people who are so set in their ways having to learn to relove the rovers. I mean, what they could have had on their hands was a series six of cheers. Right. Where the big corporation buys a pub and then the story is how the previous owner and Cheers case Sam right. gets his pub back. Right. What's wrong with that? Yeah. But you and they're trying to do that, but the thing that works in Cheers is that the corporation does come in and does change things. For one episode. Well, that's more than they're getting here. <laughs> and the changes that they're made to wear green uniforms. Because <laughs> it's Boston. Right. Yeah, I don't know. It I was, don't know. It, it felt like it was a, an, an opportunity there. One that they're never going to take. But part of me is just curious as to what would have happened had they had the, the strength or resolve to go through with it. Right. But, oh, well. You could put another business in there, too. You know, mm-hmm. you could you could gut the place, keep the keep the keep the feel of the outside still the outside and put in a different business. You know, like they were talking about a coffee shop and while they're right across the street from like an actual coffee shop, it wouldn't be it wouldn't be bad to have like or or a place that has fancy non-alcoholic drinks. Which I suppose they could still do. They do have the Heideken Zero, at least. Yep. But, uh, I don't know. It just, it feels like far too many people, far too many other beloved characters amongst the Knicker people will be hurt by this. And while the show wants people to forget and think that it's Carla's money, most people are not fooled. They're like, wait a second. This is the factory's money. Yeah, I think they rely on people either not knowing that, not thinking about that, not caring about that, or forgetting about that. Yeah, and they're wrong on all count, all counts. Well, we, we shall we shall see. Well, that was the week that was Coronation Street. Helen, tell me, what was your moment of the week? Peter and Val. Yeah, I loved that. I really yeah, loved too. that. Just the surprise of it and the, the way that it really pulled at my heartstrings right. and, and got me to think and and it acted it incredibly well as well mm-hmm. that is our moment of the week moment of the week your boring moment of the week Daniel <laughs> being awful to Daisy and Daisy apropos of nothing saying that she's going to buy the rovers do you know what Daisy needed to say there what sex cardigan yes that's all she had to say and then that's walk all off all she had to say shut up sex cardigan right. and just walk away yeah yeah, exactly. Apparently, Nikki's coming back as well. Oh, fuck off. 
So Nikki, Bethany, and Daisy fighting over Daniel. Daniel. <sighs> Meanwhile, poor Damon's underpants are dry. Dry, I tell you. Yeah, Daniel oh, well, and Daisy as our boring moment of the week. Yeah. You scored out of 10? There was a lot to like. I quite liked it this week, yeah. So far this week, we haven't touched Friday, obviously. Right, yeah. I'm I'm not a fan of, of Jenny going to the dark side. Yeah. I'm, I'm not a fan. Don't like it. Don't like it one bit. I think she'll be a good villain. No. <laughs> She's not allowed to be a villain. She was just a victim last month. Let's let's not. This is This is not the redemption arc she needs. Um, and God, for them to just pour ice water over all of Daisy's good work in getting people to actually like the character mm-hmm. and just destroy it in two weeks. It's kind of fucked up. I'm giving that a seven and a half this week. Five and a half. Oh, well, I guess five and a half is not a bad score. No. Five's just straight down the middle, isn't it? So a little right. bit better than average. Okay, how about six? Six sounds a bit more reasonable. Yeah. I think it was a good week. It was a good week, except for except for that one storyline. And also Daniel. So that is it up to Christmas for us. Yes. We will be back on Friday the twenty ninth of December. Have a wonderful Christmas, everyone, if you celebrate. Yes. And be sure to check out uh, on the 28th of December, it's the big quiz, Coronation Street versus Emmerdale. Yes. Just um, pay close attention to that. Right, yeah. Do me a favour, just pay close attention to Keep that. Keep an eye on that. This episode was brought to you with thanks to our friends of the podcast, Daisy, French Helen, Pickles, DT, Trisha, Wendy, Noel, Canadian Helen and Christy. If you've ever enjoyed a hot tub with Peter, write him to tell us about it. We're the talk of the street at gmail.com and we're at Cory Podcast on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Threads and Blue Sky. You can shout me and Helen a coffee or become a friend of the podcast by heading to ko-fi.com. That's ko-fi.com slash the talk of the street. Check out the clicky clicky section of boggle.co.uk for links to our merch store and YouTube channel. And if you're so inclined, please leave a rating and a review on the iTunes or your podcast provider of choice. And be sure to check out our pop culture sister podcast, The List of Lists. Yay! Thanks for making it to the end of another episode. We'll be back next week with more. I talk on the street. Talk on the street. Happy Bye. holidays, everyone. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.